Good day, all. Welcome to another season of Learning Bible Truth Ministries. I am the founder, host, and teacher, your one and only Dr. Kamla D. Here to teach you Bible truth, to help you grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace by teaching Bible truth, not my truth, Bible truth. Here we read scriptures that contain God's word. Remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good morning, saints. Today is Saturday, May the 20th of the year 2023. I am the host, founder, and teacher of Learning Bible Truth Ministries, your one and only, Dr. Kamala D. Today I will be playing a message from my brother in Christ, Dr. Frederick K. Price Jr. I found another episode of him teaching about the pursuit of holiness, exposing idolatry in the church. And I am still working on and studying for my next episode. I think it's going to be a short, uh, a mini series, if you will. And I decided to play this episode instead. So I want you to sit back and listen to this powerful message about exposing idolatry in the church and the pursuit of holiness. The original recording date was back in 2017. I think the other episode that I played, it was recorded back in, in 2016. So this is a more updated version, but in any, any event, it is a powerful episode, a very powerful message. So sit back and relax, get your pen and paper, and let's learn about the pursuit of holiness, exposing idolatry in the church. Verse 16. I'm going to be moving quickly. So if you need to write the verses down and go back to them, then let that take advantage of that if that's what, what you need to do. We are continuing our lesson on the pursuit of holiness, holiness, the set apart life. The believer is to live a life that is set apart from the world. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? All right. And then the scripture says, come out from among them. Okay. So if you are in Christ, you have come out from among the world. So holiness is what we pursue. We pursue holiness until we no longer breathe. Amen. Galatians 5.16 says, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are what? Evident. They are obvious, clear as day, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. We went over these four and now we are on the fifth one, idolatry. Now, we know what idolatry is. It's the worship. It is the fellowship. It is the communion with other gods. And God said that you shall have no other gods before you. There is only one God. Now, why would Paul bring up idolatry to believers? Because isn't it obvious that us as believers signifies that we only believe in one God? That we only worship God? Yet, Paul shows us that it is possible for believers to get over into idolatry 
while firmly believing that they are still dedicated only to the God they serve, which is the Lord of hosts, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai. He has many names according to the scripture, but we know him as God. So how does this idolatry creep in? Well, one way is in 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse 22. 1 Samuel 15, 22. When you have it, say, I have it. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrificing, sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Questions being asked. He says, behold, what to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Watch this. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What did it say in this verse? That stubbornness is as what? Idolatry. Dull, insolent, arrogant, and presumptuous. That's stubbornness. And the scripture says that's as idolatry. It says it's no different. Doesn't stop there. Go over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Colossians 3 5. When you have it, say, I have it. It says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then it mentions or lists what your members can get into fornication uncleanness passion evil desire pay close attention and covetousness which is what idolatry so stubbornness is as idolatry and covetousness is idolatry coveting that which does not belong to you coveting something Heavily lusting after something. Scripture says idolatry. Where we may not blatantly go and worship another God. Do we as Christians find ourselves being stubborn or coveting? And if so, the scripture says no different than idolatry. When I'm coveting something, then I make that which I covet a God when I'm stubborn I make me God and God said you shall have no other gods before you including yourself but how else does idolatry find its way in the church many other ways Head over to Genesis chapter 4. And 
before you read, I've got some images for you. Most of the images will be on the screens. However, there were some that I forgot, and so I pulled a few of them up on my uh, tablet here, which I'll show you. Actually, I want to show you one right now before we read uh, Genesis chapter 4. Now, watch you. Here's, here's how idolatry got into the church. And it was very subtle because it came in under the mask of something else. It came in under something that appeared to be uh, something that, that could work with our Christianity, but not necessarily so. Now, some of you may be very familiar with this symbol right here. Okay. The square and the compass, symbolic of Freemasonry, as a matter of fact. Let me show you this as well. Because the Freemasons, or that, that symbol that you see, uh, that's men only. But, but the ladies can be in a secret society just as well. Now, let me show you this image first. As soon as you see this, you're going to know what it is. You see this image right here? Whenever you see this, the first thing you think of is devil. This is a pinnacle. You see, it's the upside down star, the upside down pentagram. Now, if you look carefully at the Eastern star symbol, it's the same symbol. My mother told me, Auntie D, I don't know if you knew this, Auntie D, but mom told me not too long ago when I finished the last part of this message about a month ago, she said that in the church, the Eastern stars approached Grandma Winnie. Eastern stars. Because it was often that the Masons and the Eastern stars could enter into the church, the Baptist church especially, but, but, but any churches. And, and, and it, the church was like a recruiting ground. But we're going to find out today this stuff doesn't work well with each other. Okay? All right, Genesis 4. Are you there? Now, in uh, Tuesday night Bible study, we really go deep. And one of the things that I've been teaching is over in Genesis 11 about the Tower of Babel and Nimrod. Our Nimrod is mentioned in Genesis 10. The scripture says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, which means he was rebellious before the Lord. Nimrod was uh, a skilled archer, the most skilled archer of his day. As a matter of fact, Nimrod is responsible for training horses to be rode by men, and he also trained dogs for hunting. Nimrod was very skilled. He was so skilled that he began to gather a, a following. This following became so large that Nimrod ends up establishing a kingdom, and part of his kingdom was the commissioning of a tower being built into the heavens. What was the purpose of building this tower into the heavens? Nimrod and his kingdom were going to enter into heaven and stand before God, find out why did you bring about the flood to destroy our ancestors? This was about vengeance. It got God's attention, didn't it? Because he said, let us go down there and confuse the language so they may not understand one another's speech. Now, once the language was confounded, once the language was confused and the speech was not understood, then there was a scattering of peoples. It was the scattering of all the peoples established in Genesis 10. The world spoke one language. They had one speech. 
They had one legend. They had one story. They had one faith, etc., etc. But when the peoples were scattered, the stories were scattered. The legends were scattered. The faith became scattered, and then different religions were adopted by different civilizations, and the same God adopted many different names. So Nimrod is the father of paganism and polytheism, but I used to attribute to him that he was also the father of Freemasonry and secret societies and fraternal orders, but that's not the case. Actually, the father is Cain. Now watch this in Genesis 4.16. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. On the east of Eden. Now watch this. Cain means possession. But Cain is responsible for producing a tribe of Cainites. Not Canaanites. Cainites, also known as Kenites. Now here's where it gets really, really interesting. While Cain means possession, the tribe that he produced, the Kenites, mean smiths. Smiths. What do you mean? A bunch of guys named Smith? No, no, no. Smiths like metalsmith, silversmith, coppersmith, blacksmith. Those who worked with their hands, those who worked with tools and stones and bricks and mortar. In other words, Cain produced the world's first Masons. Remember now, masonry in and of itself is not a bad thing. If you engrave, if you're an architect, you're in the field of masonry. But because masons create and construct and they build, then the parallel spiritually was something that was intriguing to some who got together and said, we're going to call this Freemasonry. And the foundation is the same, except now we're building spiritual blocks and spiritual foundations. Now drop down to verse 22. And watch this. Everything that I say to you today all connects. It all connects. Verse 22. Are you with me? It says, and as for Zillah, we're reading the genealogy of Cain. Now watch this. As for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain. An instructor of what? Every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister Tubal Cain was Namah. Now, Tubal Cain means thou will be brought of Cain. Tubal Cain was the first metal worker. He was the first miner. And he was the first chemist. In other words, he was the world's first mason. Now, what ends up happening? This is Genesis 4. Okay, then we get to Genesis 5. We get the genealogy of Adam. Men now begin to call again on the name of the Lord. It ends with Noah, who will bring us rest. And chapter 6 begins with the interesting act. The sons of God, angels, come to know the daughters of women sexually, and they produce giants. These giants roam the earth causing chaos, causing havoc. God says, the earth is filled with wickedness. I'm going to wipe out everyone and everything except these eight. Noah, his three sons, and their family. Well, excellent, perfect, everything works out. The problem is the sin nature is still present. So we're bound to get into this mess all over again. 
And of course it happens. Shem, Ham, and Japheth are responsible for populating the earth. So we get the population of the earth in Genesis 10. But then, of course, as I said earlier, in Genesis 11, we get this tower being built. When God confuses the language, all of the stories and gods and goddesses and legends scatter as well. So Tubal Cain, who hundreds of years later became identified as a god because all of these guys, all of these these forefathers end up being deified hundreds and hundreds of years later in the next generations. So Tubal Cain adopts some other names. Now, uh, put the first image up. All right, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Cain slew Abel. Next picture. Here's Tubal Cain. This is a artifact of Tubal Cain. He's in his shop. He's doing his, his masonry. He's doing his metal work. Once the stories scatter, Tubal Cain adopts some other names. Next picture, please. This is, it all connects. This is the Greek god Hephaestus. Hephaestus was known as the blacksmith of the gods. He was the wielder of fire and the forger of the gods' weapons. Hephaestus worked with the Cyclops to give Poseidon his trident, Zeus his lightning bolt, and Hades his invisible cap. But, as I stated, the names are scattered. So while the Greeks, put that image back up, while the Greeks refer to him as Hephaestus, the Romans refer to him as another name. Mind you, this is Tubal Cain. But because years have passed, his legend has grown as the blacksmith of the gods. The Greeks called him Hephaestus, the Romans gave him another name. And that name was Vulcan. And this name Vulcan would inspire the creators of a particular sci-fi show called Star Trek to create an alien race called Vulcans. Any Trekkies here? Watch this. Star Trek creates an alien race called Vulcans who live on the planet Vulcan and speak the language Vulcan. The most popular Vulcan would be this guy right here. Watch this now. It all connects though. Watch. Pay very close attention. What does this mean? Right? Live long and prosper. This is the Vulcan salute. But what most people don't know is where he got this from. Next image, please. Next image, please. You see the Hebrew language? You see the Star of David behind there. This was a Jewish priestly blessing. In his autobiography, I Am Not Spock, Leonard Nimoy wrote that he based it on the priestly blessing performed by the Jewish Kahanim with both hands, thumb to thumb, in the same position represent, representing the Hebrew letter Sheen, which has three upward strokes similar to the position of the thumb and fingers in the salute. The letter Sheen here stands for Shaddai, meaning what? Almighty God. 
Nimoy wrote that when he was a child, his grandfather took him to an Orthodox synagogue. There he saw the blessing performed and was very impressed by it. And now the whole world knows this as live long and prosper. But what this is, is the Jewish blessing. And you've heard the blessing before because it sounds a little bit like this. Now the Lord will keep you. The Lord will bless you and make his face to shine upon you. You know the rest. You hear it at weddings all the time. Oh, but it doesn't stop there, does it? No, 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 no. See, here's what you guys need to know. That every television show you look at and every movie you see, it is not an accident. This is not a chance story that you're watching, that you're listening to. It all has a meaning. Next picture, please. Is that the next one? I, I believe there was, there was one before that. If that's not the next one, then go to the one after and then come back to this one. Should be a picture of a, of a man. In the name of Jesus. Next picture, please. Okay. See, everything that I'm saying today needs to be heard. And I'm not leaving here until I say it all now. If I'm in here by myself, then I'm in here by myself. I have to say it today. This can't wait any other day. You understand? Okay. So when the picture comes, until then, let me kind of go over some things again. Get an understanding of this. When Nimrod created the tower, he was in charge. He was the king. He was the God king. And they're building a tower. And they say, we're going to go into the heavens. And God says, my goodness, they're going to pull this off. Now think about it. What was this tower about? Well, let's just say it was an actual tower, which it was. But let's say that it was an actual tower that was going to be built into the heavens, into the third heaven where God is. What does that mean? That means that this tower is going to have to breach the atmosphere. Now, once this tower breaches the atmosphere, how will these humans breathe in space to continue building this tower into heaven? See, the Tower of Babel was about technology. See, there's a belief that the technology we have today is actually catching up to what we used to have in ancient days. You've heard of Atlantis, the belief that there was a continent that sank at the bottom of the ocean. It's believed that the Atlanteans had the use of electricity and power 10,000 years ago. There's an ancient Indian tribe in South America called the Nazca Indians that have created these designs in the earth. These designs are huge. One of them looks like a runway. How did these Indians, these Nazca Indians, draw animals and dogs and runways in the earth if they didn't have the power of flight? See, remember, when the sons of God came to know the daughters of men, they also interacted with mankind. These were angels. These were advanced individuals that had access to knowledge that mankind was not to know yet. When we read the book of Enoch, which is quoted in Jude, Jude 14, 15, quotes the book of Enoch, which is not a book of the Bible. 
Yet Jude obviously was familiar with the book of Enoch because he quotes Enoch chapter 1 verse 9. Now when you read Enoch chapter 6, it tells us the same story as Genesis chapter 6. But it gives us a little more information and it shows us how these angels came down. Not only did they know the women sexually and create children, they also taught the men magic. They taught them astrology. They taught them how to read the clouds, etc. And etc. That's how most of this stuff is here. Because rebel angels taught men. Well, these men still had access to that. They still had access to those to those angels. Mind you, the angels that messed up in Genesis 6 were cast to a place called Tartarus. But Satan still has a third of evil angels at his disposal. And men were still interacting with these creatures. And these creatures, these, these intelligent beings, which today we call them aliens. All these civilizations have these artifacts of ancient astronauts. These humongous beings. If you saw the movie Prometheus recently, you got an idea of the ancient astronaut concept of which these intelligent beings came to Earth and they taught men things and showed them things. Showed them things like stargates and parallel dimensions and wormholes. See, you thought it was fiction. There's really no such thing. Is that image up yet? I'll give you a hint. It should be Agent Smith from the Matrix. There he is. All right. Agent Smith of the Matrix. How many of you are familiar with this trilogy? How many hands? Got a lot of hands. You're very familiar with it. All right. We know that the main protagonist is one by the name of Neo. We know that Neo is what? The one. He is the one that will save us from the machines. So Neo in this film is a what? Messiah type character. He's a Christ-like figure. As a matter of fact, in one scene in the first movie, the guy says, you're my own personal Jesus Christ. Once Thomas Anderson is set free from the Matrix and now is known by the name Neo, he runs across agents. The agents always come in three. Not an accident. Three is a very divine number. It's a very philosophical number, and it's also a lucky number. The leading agent was Agent Smith. Now, let me brief, just take you through a couple scenes in this movie because it's very, very poignant to what I'm, what I'm teaching you. At the end of this movie, you recall after Neil was killed, and then he's what? Resurrected. The agents fire the bullets at him. He puts his hand up. What happens? The bullets stop. The other two agents scatter. Agent Smith stays right where he is. Neil, what? Runs, jumps at him, jumps inside of him, causes him to explode. Now, this did not destroy Agent Smith. What it did was it set him free from the Matrix. No longer was he a program bound to the Matrix. Now, here's what we find out, that there are many theories about this movie. That, as a matter of fact, this movie has its own religion. I'm not joking. And there are many schools of thought. This is one of those movies that people are still trying to figure out, including myself. But there's one thing, there's, there was one perceived idea that Agent Smith and Neil were brothers. Brothers like Abel and Cain. Remember, Cain produced the Smiths. There's a scene in the second movie when Neil goes to see the Oracle again. 
And he encounters an Asian fellow by the name of Seraph, singular for seraphim, the six-winged creatures of Isaiah 6. They enter into combat. Pretty much it's a, it's a duel. It's a duel. They, 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 no one defeats each other. Seraph takes Neo to the oracle and she begins to explain some other things about the matrix. She confirms that he's the one, but then she also mentions this one that he needs to stop, which is this rogue agent Smith. The cane to Neo's Abel. Later on in the film, Neo runs into this character known as the architect. Now, what most people think, they think The Matrix was a Christian movie. The Matrix was not a Christian movie, it was a New Age movie. It was a movie that combined elements of Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, New Age, New Thought, Gnosticism, and the list goes on. Catholicism, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, everything was in it. The architect, which is a title that the Masons call God. He's the great architect of the universe. That's a perversion of Proverbs 8, where wisdom is called the master craftsman. Now, the architect begins to explain some things as well, and he is identified as the father of the matrix and says, if I'm the father, then unequivocally, she must be the mother. We can all assume he's talking about the oracle. So the architect and the oracle are producing, in a sense, children, programs, right? And so two of their twin children, not two of their twin children, but, but a set of twins would be Neo and Smith and Abel and a Cain. Now watch this. Put up the next picture, please. That's a license plate. Now, geek would me, like me would, would pay attention to a license plate, but this kept, I, I, I just couldn't figure out why this license plate said IS5416 until I went to Isaiah 5416, which, and I quote, says, I have created the smith which bloweth the coals and doeth the work for me. That's the car in the movie, in the second movie, when Agent Smith first comes up to the meeting that Morpheus and Neo are having, and he comes up to the door and he says, give Neo a message, tell him that he's freed me. That's the car that he drove in, Isaiah 54, 16. If you look at the license plate, that's what it says. Go to your Bible, Isaiah 54, 16 says, I've created the Smith, which is what the architect did. He created the Smith to do a work for him. It's all connected. It's not an accident, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is stuff we do on Tuesday night. Usually, I consider it too heavy for here, but y'all seem to be doing okay. <laughs> See, the problem is, is I have to share this with you and lay this heavy foundation for you because of what we're going to do later. Amen. So, I hope you stay with me. So, the Matrix makes all these Gnostic and Masonic parallels. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. Next image, please. This is a man by the name of Edward Kelly. Next image, please. This is a man by the name of John D. Now, what's interesting about Edward Kelly and John D? These guys lived in the 17 and 1800s. These two gentlemen were magicians and scientists. And they actually believed in God. And they were also alchemists. Alchemy is when science meets magic. If any of you saw the movie Thor, there's a scene where Thor is explaining to Jane where he comes from. And he says, your people used to call it magic. They now call it science. I come from a place where it's one and the same. Because that's pretty much what science is today. Scientists are the new magicians. 
Magicians had laboratories. Scientists have laboratories. They deal with liquids and potions and solutions and etc. But these two gentlemen were into everything. Philosophy, the occult, magic. I mean, they just were into everything and they mixed everything. And these two gentlemen came together and created a language called the Enochian, as in Enoch. The Enochian, which was known as the language of angels. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul makes a statement. He says, though I speak with the tongues of angels, yet not have love, I am nothing. Now, most believe that what Paul was saying was, though I speak with an eloquent tongue, though I speak with beautiful language. But some believe he was talking about an actual angelic language. Now, I don't know whether he was talking about it or not, but I do believe there's an angelic language. I do believe that. And I believe that these two gentlemen, they tapped into it, tapped into something they had no business tapping into. But nevertheless, they tapped into it. And they discovered this angelic language and they have all of these potions and all of these these incantations found in white magic, which was created to counter black magic. But nevertheless, magic is still magic and magic is still evil. But white magic was created to counter black magic. And in white magic, you can summon angels by using these chants and using this angelic language. Well, these two gentlemen were also known as Rosicrucians. Anyone ever heard of Rosicrucianism? There are a few people that have. It's there with Freemasonry, that secret society, ancient secret teachings that not everyone knows. Put up the next image, please. This is very, leave this up for a second. This is very important for you to understand. This is a Masonic signature. What you're looking at is two ball cane. You see two balls. And you see a cane. Now, I'm not being facetious here, nor am I being silly. But this is a symbol that speaks. See, if I want to get a message to you, Gerald, but I don't want Bree to know. And I know you know the symbol and she doesn't. I'll give you the symbol. The symbol tells you everything that I need you to know. She never figures it out. We hide stuff in symbols. All right, this is a symbol. Two ball cane. Now, what else does this mean? Well, back in the days of Nimrod, they worshipped the phallic member. So this is also what? A phallic member and testes as well. It's the sexual deviance of the fraternal orders and secret societies. They deified the phallic member. There's phallic all over the place. There's one in Washington, D.C. It's called the Washington Monument. It's an obelisk. Ancient Egypt had them back in Memphis. And I'm not talking Tennessee. I'm talking ancient Egypt. The Vatican has an obelisk. What's it doing there? As a matter of fact, there's paganism all over the place. You ever wonder why all of our memorials to our presidents at Washington, D.C. look like Greek and Roman pagan temples? It's not by accident. Put that symbol back up. Two ball cane. So I can hand you a piece of paper with that symbol on it and what it means, but you don't. Next image, please. That's the symbol on a Masonic ring. That's two ball cane. The blacksmith, the mason, are you with me? 
Now watch this. One of the gentlemen, John D., was into this stuff and very familiar with Tubal Cain. Now mind you, John D. lived almost 5,000 years after Cain. And this symbol's been around for 5,000 years. And it's around today. But John D. was very interesting. He was, was from England and he worked for Queen Elizabeth I. And whenever John D., who also was a spy, whenever John D. wanted to get a message to Queen Elizabeth I, he would show this next image. That may look a little familiar to you. As a matter of fact, what John D. would do is John D. would hand Queen Elizabeth a message with 007 on it, and it would mean for your eyes only. And we're very familiar with the 1981 Roger Moore James Bond film, For Eyes Only, 007. He's a secret agent. It's all connected. Next image, please. This is just the... Yeah. That was a clever way to do it, right? Next image. And that was John D's symbol. That was the symbol that he gave to Queen Elizabeth the first. Of course, you know, James Bond is an agent of Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's all connected. Now, you saw the compass, you saw the eastern star, you see the two ball cane. All symbols of Freemasonry, all symbols of secret societies, all symbols of fraternal orders. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. They don't belong to your society. They don't belong to your fraternity or your sorority. This is where I might lose some friends now. But I would humbly request that you hear the information and make an assessment afterwards. Next picture, please. Are we ready for that? What do we have here? Well, pay very close attention. In 1776, December 5th, the Phi Beta Kappa Society was formed. 1776. There were no black Greek letter organizations yet. They didn't show up until the 1900s, early 1900s. This is 1776. This is the very first fraternity, the first Greek letter student society. The main developments associated with Phi Beta Kappa are the use of Greek letter initials as a society name and the establishment of branches or chapters at different campuses, pay close attention now, following the pattern of Masonic lodges. So if this is the very first fraternity and all other fraternities and sororities follow the same pattern in which they follow the Masonic pattern, then what does that say about fraternities and sororities? Mason breeding grounds. Here's a comment by one of the initiated. This is recent. And I quote, I was initiated into a college secret society, a couple of hours of grotesque and good-humored horseplay in which I cooperated as in a kind of pleasant nightmare, confident even when branded with a red-hot iron 
or doused head over heels in boiling oil, that, that it would all come out right. The neophyte is effectively blindfolded during the proceedings and at last still sightless because they don't want you to rely on these two eyes. They want you to rely on the third eye, also known as the eye of Horus, you know, the eye pyramid on the back of your dollars. I was led down flights of steps into a silent crypt. I was helped into a coffin. Anybody seen anything wrong with this? Where I was to stay until the resurrection. Thus it was just that as my father passed from this earth, I was lying in a coffin during my initiation into Delta Kappa Epsilon. The coffin and the crypt and the clothed hooded figures and even the wedding are essential parts of fraternal and sorority passings. Greek letter organizations often have a number of distinctive emblems, such as colors, flags, flowers, in addition to a badge or a pin or a coat of arms and a seal. Pay close attention. An open motto is used to express the unique ideals of a fraternity or a sorority, but an open motto indicates that the organization also has a secret motto. Put that image back up, please. Let me give you an example. What do we see here? We see a lot of stuff here. We see a key. We see an owl. We see the fleur-de-lis. All right, the, the French lily. You guys seen that on the New England Saints uniforms. All right, we see a triangle up top, and then we see a woman who's facing the east. She's facing the right, because if that emblem is on my clothing, then her face is facing the right, and the right is always the east. That's where all the secret teachings in ancient civilizations came from, the east. That young lady up there is a goddess by the name of Minerva. Next image, please. That was, this is Kappa, that was Kappa Kappa Gamma. This is Sigma Alpha Epsilon. What do we see again? There's Minerva up there on top, holding a staff next to a lion. We see a knight's face facing us. We see crosses, numbered in three. We see a lamp. All right, we see the fleur-de-lis again. We see the fleur-de-lis all around. We see the phoenix over in the bottom right-hand corner. The phoenix, in Egypt, they called that the Banu bird. The phoenix is a bird that when it dies, it immediately resurrects right in its ashes. That's what the phoenix is all about. It's a perversion of Christ, ultimately symbolic of Satan. Know this, if a symbol's not attached to Christ, it's attached to the other guy. So just know that, okay? Next image, please. Theta, Delta, Chai. What do we see? Minerva again. Next to her owl. We'll find out what the owl was. You saw the owl on the first emblem, didn't you? What do you see here? You see the knight again facing the east. You see a torch. You see arrows crossed. You see a scroll open. You see crossbones. You see the handshake. That's the Masonic handshake. You also see the lamp. Your emblem says everything about you. Your crest says everything about you and everything that you stand for. Well, you know, these, these Greek letter organizations in the 1700s and the 1800s still didn't include our blacks. So what were the blacks going to do about this? We're going to make our own thing, aren't we? Next image, please. What is this? What am I looking at? I'm looking at the boule symbol, also known as Sigma Pi Phi. Now, the boule or Sigma Pi Phi was not a collegiate fraternity. 
it was the fraternity that would influence the collegiate fraternities. In 1904, the first African-American Greek society was formed in Philadelphia by six colleagues. The boule was formed to bring together a select group of educated black men and women, otherwise known as the elite. Fashioned after Yale's skull and bones. Anybody seen the movie The Skulls? Well, whether the movie was accurate or not, here's what is true. Skull and bones exist on the campus of Yale, and where they meet looks like a mausoleum. And everything is secret. You know, George Bush was a skull and bones. And so was George Bush. <laughs> the Boulay historically takes pride in having provided leadership and service to black Americans during the Great Depression, World Wars I and II, and the Civil Rights Movement. Now here's where rocks will be thrown at me because those who are attached so closely to their fraternity will want to tell me the good that they do. You need to understand that just because something does good doesn't mean that's good enough. See, we're not talking about doing good because I can prove to you that I don't need a society to do good. I don't need to be a part of an order to do good. So it's not about doing good. All right, it's about being in allegiance with one God and one God only. It's about being a believer and getting away from idolatry. Are you still with me? What could the Boulay offer, offer America's blacks in the early 20th century? Joining the exclusive secret society offered advancement and perks to select blacks in turn for loyalty to its objectives. The upper tenth of blacks started to live the good life as Boulay members while the majority of ordinary blacks were disenfranchised. But what were the Boulay's objectives? Well, here's one objective to form BGLO's Black Greek Letter Organizations. I'd like to introduce you now to the Divine Nine also known as the National Pan-Hellenic Council. Pastor, they do a lot of good. I don't doubt it. I'm not taking away the good that they've done. Right now, I could name you some very famous blacks that were part of fraternities and sororities. And some of these famous blacks called themselves Christians. Some of them called themselves ministers. Oh, they say truth hurts and it stings. But it's better to take the hurt and sting that truth provides now than the pain that'll be provided later because you chose to reject truth. <laughs> Image, please. Alpha Phi Alpha. What do we see here? I see the night. That's the same night facing the east, isn't it? And I see those torches again, but now they're crossed. We're not going to talk about all the details, but we're going to talk about some of the things that seem to either stand out or seem to recur. Now watch this. Of all the black Greek letter organizations, Alpha Phi Alpha is the oldest. And Alpha Phi Alpha decided we're not going to go Greek. We're going to take it to the motherland and go Egypt. Alpha Phi Alpha's symbol is the Great Sphinx of Giza founded in, or Giza founded in 1906. Do I have a picture of the Sphinx? I believe I do. Is that, is that our next image? That's, that's a pretty background. There we go. That's the Sphinx. Man, I've stood at that Sphinx with my sister Angie and my niece Adrian. Oh, awesome structure. But the Sphinx was built by blacks. Oh, yeah, we got skills. <laughs> but it was under the umbrella of a pagan society. Now, 
Alpha Phi Alpha symbol is this sphinx. Now, we're not going to go back a few images, but when I showed you the Boulez image, you also saw something that looked like a sphinx. Here's what's interesting. That was a sphinx. That was the Greek sphinx. Now, the Greek sphinx has the face of a lady, while the Egyptian sphinx has the face of a man. The Greek sphinx is malevolent, evil. The Greek sphinx guards temples. In order to get into the temple, the sphinx will ask you a riddle or a question. If you cannot answer it, she will eat and devour you. She will kill you. Egyptian sphinx are a little bit different. They're a little more humble. They guard the palace. Now, Alpha Phi Alpha utilizes motifs from ancient Egypt and uses images and songs depic depicting the Haremaket, which is the great sphinx of Egypt. But Haremaket also means Horus of the horizon. Next image, please. That is Horus. That is the falcon god Horus. Horus is the child of Isis and Osiris. Horus was the god of the sky. Watch this now. They used the Sphinx, Horus of the Horizon, Pharaohs, and other Egyptian artifacts to represent the organization. The Great Sphinx of Giza, pay attention, was made out of one unified body of stone, masonry, which represents the fraternity and its members. This is in contrast to other fraternities that traditionally echo themes from the golden age of ancient Greece. Alpha's constant reference to Ethiopian hymns and poems are further examples of Alpha's mission to imbue itself with an African cultural heritage. A fraternity brother wrote, to the Alpha Phi Alpha Brotherhood, African history and civilization, the Sphinx and Ethiopian tradition bring new meanings and these are interpreted with new significance to others. As you can tell, I'm reading a quote. The Great Pyramids of Giza. Symbols of foundation, sacred geometry. See, when we start getting into that sacred math, that's what the five percenters talk about, mathematics. Any of you that grew up in the hip-hop era and you listen to late 80s, early 90s hip-hop, groups like Wu-Tang Clan, groups like Poor Righteous Teachers, a lot of those East Coast groups that would talk about the black man is God and would talk about how ancient and scientific and, and precious, pure and, and religious that mathematics was. That's what that sacred geometry is all about. It comes from Egypt. All right. The Greeks called it the Pythagorean theorem. Pythagoras was a Greek mathematician who discovered a squared plus b squared equals c squared. The problem is Pythagoras didn't discover it. The black folk in Egypt discovered it years before. And those other darker skinned peoples over in Babylon, they also discovered this theorem. That's how they created their ziggurats. The ziggurat was very similar to the pyramid. It was the Babylonian temple. Sacred geometry and more are other African images chosen by Alpha Phi Alpha as fraternity icons. The fraternity's 21st general president once said, Alpha Phi Alpha must go back to her, her ultimate roots. Only then can she be nurtured to full bloom. Fraternity members make pilgrimages to its spiritual birthplace of Egypt? There's something wrong with this, ladies and gentlemen. This is not good. I was born into this earth, and then I got born again, and that's my only birthplace. I was born on earth, and then I was born into the kingdom of God, and that's it. I don't have any other spiritual birthplace. We think it's stuff we shouldn't talk about. This stuff, this is idolatry. And I'm almost out of time, but I'm going to keep going. Okay? I got to get it all out today. So, if you need to leave... I would hope that none of you do. It's rare that we'll spend two hours in church teaching. But if you have to go, I understand. But there's some folk in here that need to hear this. Okay? 
So they must make pilgrimages to its spiritual birthplaces of Egypt to walk across the sands of the Giza Plateau to the great Sphinx of Giza and the great pyramids of Giza and to Ethiopia. Next. I'd be Cain and Abel, guys. And so if, if four, if four, oh, great. Okay. What do we have here? Well, you just saw the God Horus. Well, that's baby Horus being nursed by, watch this, his mother Isis. This image would inspire another image. Next. Nope, that would be Tubal Cain. That image right there. There we go. We all know who that is, don't we? That would be Mary, mother of Jesus, holding baby Jesus. Let me give you guys a little insight. The virgin birth story has been told before. But here's why it was told before. It was told before so that when we told it, our story would look counterfeit. So the naysayers towards Christianity say, oh, that's not original. That's been told before. But here's why it was told before. Because when Jesus, when God cursed the serpent and he said that her seed, once he heard seed, he said, oh, this is a, this is a seed story. This is a seed prophecy. A seed is coming. So I got to tell the story about the virgin birth and the seed coming before the actual virgin birth happens and the actual seed comes. So the story has been told countless of times. There have been numerous Marys and Jesus stories. The one you just saw, Isis and, and Horus. Right before that, it was Ninus and Semiramis or Nimrod and Semiramis. And it's been told in the Greek legends and in the and the Norse legends and the, and the Roman legends. That, that little baby we call Cupid, that's another one. Cupid and his mother, I believe Aphrodite. I could be mistaken there. Yeah, next image. AKA, man. It's almost like gangs. Man, you ever, you ever seen a blood or a crip get, get incited and, and excited when they hear their hood or see their color? Man, that's how these fraternities are. Boy, I tell you. AKA Alpha Kappa Alpha. The sorority was founded in 1908. By the time you're done with your initiation, Alpha becomes personified. But let's look at this image here. What do we see here? That's There's that lamp again. There's that handshake again. Now I see a dove, and then I see this. That's a guy holding a globe. Looks like this Greek god that I know. Next image. That's who that is. That would be the Greek Titan Atlas. You're very familiar with Tatlas who holds up the world on his shoulders. But see, it's always been believed that that's all he was doing. See, the Titans were punished by the Olympian gods, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, Demeter, Hermes, Aphrodite, Artemis, etc., etc. If you saw the movie Immortals, if you saw Wrath of the Titans or Clash of the Titans, I don't even know why Clash of the Titans is called Clash of the Titans. There aren't any Titans in the movie. 
And Wrath of the Titan should be called Wrath of the Titan, because there's only one in that movie. But nevertheless, Atlas was a Titan. Atlas was punished to hold up the earth on his shoulders, but that's not all he was doing. Actually, what he did was he held the heavens on his shoulders to prevent the heavens from interacting with earth. Now, I'm a believer. I claim to be an alpha, kappa alpha. Yet, how can I believe that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven when Atlas is in the way? My love is tough, I get it, honestly. <laughs> but it's still love. You gotta understand, it's still love. Because I want folk free. I want folk unplugged from the matrix. That's what I want. Watch this now. Next image, please. Kappas, Kappa Alpha Psi. Watch this. This is a fraternity which happened to call their chapter leaders polymarks. Now, polymark is actually spelled pole and march. If you put pole and march together, you get polymark. This comes from the ancient Greek word poly polymarkos. Now, polymarkos is taken from two Greek words. Number one, polymos, which is the Greek word for war, and then archon, which is the Greek word for leader. So a polymark is a war leader. Now, a polymark was a senior military title in various ancient Greek city-states. The title is composed, as I said, out of the words polymos and archon, and it translates war leader or warlord. Now, here's what's very interesting. This council is known as the Divine Nine. Back in ancient Greece, specifically in Athens, there were nine polymarks a year. It's not an accident. It's all connected. The name indicates that the Polymarchos' original function was to command the army. Presumably, presumably, the office was created to take over the function from the king. Next image, please. The god of Kappa Alpha Psi is Apollo. The Greek god Apollo. God of the sun. Next image. Omega Psi Phi. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Go back. Please go back. Two images to the Kappa to the cap. Okay, there's the knight again, looking to the east. There's the handshake again. There's an arrow again. There's stars in the number three. All right, move it, move it forward twice. Go to Omega Sci-Fi. What do we see? There's a star. There's a lamp. Now we've got swords. They're crossed. We saw crossed arrows before. There's a knight looking to the east again. At the end of the initiation here, you wed Omega. You marry Omega. It's a fraternity, though, so Omega must be a she in this sense. Next image, please. Delta, Sigma Theta. Now, see, sometimes all you need is one. And we already have, this is a sorority, we already have a young lady that's denounced this and has basically confirmed pretty much everything that I'm saying, so I'm good. She was in it and she's out of it. Delta Sigma Theta, what do we see there? There's that torch again. There's a candle. I see Minerva again. Who's Minerva? The Roman goddess of wisdom looking to the east. Next image, please. That's her right there. That's Minerva. 
Minerva's all over the place. You find Minerva everywhere. Right there in her chest, you can kind of see an ugly face. That's most likely Medusa. Because Minerva shows up mm, on the great seal of the state of California. There's Minerva holding her spear and Medusa's on her shield. Minerva finds herself in other places too. She's the patron goddess of many universities. Patron means the god of or the goddess of. Uh, and Minerva also finds herself on the Navy and Army Medal of Honor, right there in the of the pinnacle. The Air Force has a Medal of Honor as well, but they don't choose to use Minerva. They use another Roman goddess who goes by a specific name, but you and I know her as that great big statue in New York that greets everyone when we enter the city. The Statue of Liberty is the Roman goddess of freedom, Libertus. I mean, we claim to be a Christian nation, but there's paganism all over the place. And that's not by accident because the country was founded on Christian principles, but it became framed by Masonic ones. And, and, and if you do your history, starting with George Washington, every president has been. There's no reason to believe that up until now, every president to this day has been a Mason. But you know what? This is conspiracy theory anyway, so ain't nobody going to believe me. <laughs> Next image. What do we have here? Look at that. She knew it. Phi Beta Sigma. What do we see here? I see three stars again. I see the dove again. And now I see a hatchet in a sheath. A hatchet in a scabbard. That's interesting. And the goddess of Phi Beta Sigma is Athena. Show the next picture, please. Athena, Greek god of wisdom, she's the equivalent to Minerva, the Roman goddess of wisdom. I'm sorry, Greek goddess of wisdom. Minerva is the Roman goddess of wisdom. Next image, please. Number seven, Zeta Phi Beta. Y'all know your stuff. What do we see again? What do we see again? We, 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 we see the torches. I see three stars in the middle. There's the dove again. What does a torch mean? It's the same torch that Our Lady Liberty holds. Some of the images, the torches were crossed. Zeta becomes personified with Zeta Phi Beta. Next, number eight, Sigma Gamma Rho. And by the way, let me, let me, let me just back up, keep the image here. Uh, Alpha Phi Alpha, founded in 1906, Alpha Kappa Alpha, 1908, Kappa Alpha Psi, 1911, Omega Sci-Fi, 1911, Delta Sigma Theta, 1913, Phi Beta Sigma, 1914, Zeta Phi Beta, 1920, Sigma Gamma Rho, 1922. The goddess that oversees this sorority is the Roman goddess of the Don Aurora. And what do we see? That's Aurora right there, okay? Now go back to the, to the crest. What do we see? There's the hatchet in the scabbard. Now they're crossed. There's a lamp again. I see a feather. There's a skull and crossbones again. You ain't got to figure out what that means. There's the torch of liberty again. And now I see a symbol there. It kind of looks like a, looks like that symbol that's usually associated with medicine. Yeah, anybody ever seen that symbol associated with medicine? But the problem is, is that it's erroneously associated with medicine. That symbol right there is called the caduceus. It is the staff of Hermes, the messenger god. Romans called him Mercury. 
This symbol does not mean medicine. This symbol, the staff with two snakes intertwining it, means commerce and trickery. When there's one snake around the staff, that means medicine. That's the rod of Asiplius. And you can confirm that by seeing black dynamite. That'll confirm it right there. You see black dynamite, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. When they're in Roscoe's Chili and Donuts, they are talking about, okay? You confirm that, all right? Now, it's all connected. <laughs> Last, the youngest of the bunch. Next image would be Aurora, and then the image after. There we go, Iota Phi Theta. Fraternity founded in 1963. What do I see? I see, there are the stars again. I see the candle lamp, but now I see a centaur. Now, what do I know about centaurs? That's Greek mythology, right? Half man, half horse. Centaurs were associated with the Greek god Dionysus. The Romans called him Bacchus. This was the god of wine, the god of madness, the god of ritual ecstasy, the god of orgies, and the god of the theater. Basically, Dionysus is lord of Hollywood. And everything that Dionysus did, it happens today. Now, what were the common themes in all these emblems? Mind you, they, they all had, have a, a, a god, mostly a goddess, or, or the society itself becomes the goddess. And you either wed the goddess or you die and resurrect to the goddess. You die and, and you are raised an omega, raised a kappa, raised a... It's dangerous stuff to play with because all of that has its roots. Back in Genesis 4 with Cain and Tubal Cain. What are some of the common themes here? The key. Did you see the key? What's the key? The skeleton key is the master key that unlocks all doors. And in cryptography, the key is the password or the secret piece of information that determines the function of something. Oh, what about the fleur-de-lis? This is the li lily that is religious, political, dynastic, artistic, emblematic, and symbolic, especially to the French. Some of my jeans had fleur-de-lis on the back of them. They got to go. <laughs> my mother should be happy. We also saw the owl. Anybody see the owl? What do we know about the owl? The owl is the animal of wisdom. It's the bird of wisdom. The owl is also symbolic with the demon and the alien because of the eyes. The owl is the pet or symbolic animal of Minerva and Athena, both goddesses of wisdom. The owl is also the night monster, the incubus and the succubus, the abomination, the evil omen, the bird of death. Over in Isaiah, I think it's, oh, is it 34? I should have wrote this one down. There's a scripture that talks about the screech owl. The Hebrew word is Lilith. Lilith is an ancient pagan goddess. Some legends say she was the first wife of Adam. We know that that's not true based on Bible, but it doesn't negate who Lilith is and what Lilith stands for. She's always with her owls. Lilith was also called Ishtar. Ishtar would walk about with her owls on the side wearing a headdress. Another name was for Ishtar was Queen of the Night. 
As a matter of fact, she would wear the same thing Whitney Houston wore in her Queen of the Night video in 1992 off the Bodyguard soundtrack. Same headgear. You guys think this stuff is an accident? You think Madonna's name is just Madonna? Because she just thought of Madonna? No, Madonna translates into Virgin Mary. That's why she has a song, Like a Virgin. The number three, it's a divine number. Referring to completeness, refers to the triple D. We're not the only faith that believes in three and one. The triangle and the pyramid. The pyramids at Giza were in threes. Lined up with three, three stars. It's also a lucky number, and it's a number of nobility, according to Pythagoras. In relation to the fleur-de-lis, the leaves represent the three main classes of medieval society. Those who pray, those who fight, and those who work. The knight. The knight is noble. The knight is the chivalrous protector, but also to be a knight was to be a part of a royal order or an elite group. The lamp. The lamp lights the way, reveals the secret truth, is associated with prayers, chants, and lights the path of the righteous or the chosen one. The torch means liberty. The torch means freedom. But the torch is also that which lights the dark place. The torch is that which is found in the deep cavernous crypt. The handshake. The secret handshake identifies members of the elite. The dove means endearment and peace. The star is the celestial navigator. The tracker, symbolic of heavenly bodies. The arrow is the direction indicator. The sword is the ceremonial progression. The hatchet or the axe in the sheath. The hatchet is the authority to execute. It's the gift to the God. And it means that you have an exalted status and when the axe is in the sheath it means sacrifice and wealth among the elite and lastly when any object is crossed it means battle violence death and power and now if you don't mind we're gonna go to the word and then we'll be done and then you all can go home Deuteronomy 613 I mean, where else should we talk about this except church? I want to see folk free. See, there's a lot of stuff in our life. There's a lot of unknowns. And it's awesome when we can now know an unknown so it's no longer unknown. Are you with me? Watch this, Deuteronomy 6, 13. It says, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and you shall take oaths to his name. To whose name? You shall take oaths to the name of the Lord. Watch this, verse 14. You shall not go after the other gods, because the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. What did he say in the 13th verse? He says, you shall only swear oaths to him. You shall only take oaths to him and not to any other God. Can I keep going? Ezekiel 21. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18, Ezekiel 21. Watch this now. Verse 18, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, And son of man, appoint for yourself two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to go. Both of them shall go from the same land. 
Make a sign, put it at the head of the road to the city. Appoint a road for the sword to go to Rabbah of the Ammonites and to Judah and to fortify Jerusalem. Watch this now. For the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road at the fork of the two roads to use what? Divination, witchcraft. He shakes the arrows. He consults the images. He looks at the liver. In his right hand is the divination for Jerusalem to set up battering rams to call for a slaughter, to lift the voice with shouting, to set battering rams against the gates, to heap up a siege mound and to build a wall. And it will be them and it will be to them like a false divination in the eyes of those who have sworn oaths with them. But he bring their iniquity to remembrance that they may be taken. What does God have to say about this oath swearing? The pledging my allegiance to a god or goddess. Look at Habakkuk 3.9. Habakkuk, Habakkuk. <laughs> Look at Habakkuk 3.9. Are you there? First word, what? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. Wow. Makes those emblems make a lot of sense. Oaths sworn over your arrows. Oaths sworn over the direction indicators. And what does swear mean? Well, in this particular context, it means promise, um, something that is spoken. That's what it meant in the previous two verses. But here... The word sworn can also mean, uh, I'm sorry, the word oaths. Oaths were um, the verbal commitment to something. And usually when you took an oath, you'd swear. In this particular passage, though, taking an oath can also mean bringing a curse on yourself. Bringing a curse on yourself. Head over to Zephaniah chapter 1. I'm going to get through these verses real quick and quickly and then I'll be done. Zephaniah, right after Habakkuk. Zephaniah chapter 1, look at the first verse. Y'all still with me? Yeah. At least one of you still love me? At least one? Okay. Zephaniah 1. Watch this, the word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Look at verse two. I, the Lord, will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. I will consume men and beasts. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He says, I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. He says, the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. The reason he says that I will cut off every trace of Baal is because there were many Baals. We think Baal meant God. No, Baal is simply a title. Baal means Lord of. That's why when the Pharisee says he cast out demons by the power of Baals above, Jesus knew exactly what they were talking about. Talking about the pagan deity Zebub, which means of the flies or of the high place. Baal means Lord of. So there were many Baals or Baals. And it was a title, it means Lord of. You put a word after and it's Lord of that. 
Baal Zabub, Lord of the Flies, Lord of the High Place, Baal Barif, Lord of the Covenant, Baal Hadad, Lord of the Storm, Baal Shamin, Lord of the Heavens. It's a title. Look what he says in verse 5. Those who worship the host of heaven, stop right there. What does that mean? Zephaniah just confirmed who these pagan gods and goddesses are. He said that they are the host of heaven. And the host of heaven refers to angels and heavenly beings. God is referred to as the Lord of hosts. Sava, heavenly army. But remember, all the hosts don't belong to him anymore. He's got two thirds. There's another third. How do we know this? Well, let's just, let's, let me walk you through this quickly. Isaiah 14, 12. Isaiah 14, 12. Stay with me, people of God. Stay with me. Isaiah 14, 12. When you have it, say, I have it. If not, look on the screen. Isaiah 14, 12 says how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, <clears throat> how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Listen to what Lucifer has said in his heart in verse 13. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne. What did he say? My throne. That means he has a throne. That means he has a place of authority. And he said that he would exalt his throne above the what? Stars or angels or heavenly beings of God. Okay, now go to Revelation. Revelation 12, look at the third verse. Isaiah 14 confirms that Lucifer had a throne, a throne that he wanted to exalt. Lucifer is no longer Lucifer. He is Satan. He is the devil. Although some who believe in him still refer to him as Lucifer. They believe in him and refer to him as Lucifer because they believe that God judged him unfairly and that he deserves a retrial. Wow. It's called Luciferianism. And it's distinctly different from devil worship, which is distinctly different from Satanism. Three. Revelation 12, three, are you there? Yes. Well, I'm not. <laughs> but it should be on the screen. Let's go with the screen. Revelation 12, three says, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having what? Seven heads and ten hordes and seven diadems on his head. Look at verse four. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. What did it just say? The dragon who is who? The devil. His tail drew a third of the what? Stars. If you don't know what a star is, we'll confirm it in Revelation chapter 9 verse 1. Head over to Revelation 9 1. Revelation 9 1 and you will find out exactly what a star is. One verse It'll tell you exactly what a star is. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth to him. I saw a star fall to him was given. I saw a star fall to him was given. I saw a star fall to him was given. His tail drew a third of the stars. That means his tail drew a third of the hymns. That means his tail drew a third of the angels. Got it? All right. Ephesians 2.2. 2. Ephesians 2.2. 2. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to go with the screen. The screen's moving faster than me. Ephesians 2.2 2 says what? In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the what? Air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Satan is not in hell. Satan roams about in the heavenly place. Stay in Ephesians. Go to 6. Look at verse 12. Ephesians 6.12. What does it say? Ephesians 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against what? Principalities. We wrestle against powers. We wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this age. We wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness where? In the heavenly places. So Lucifer had a throne. With that authority, he drew a third of the angels. He is the prince of the power of the air. We fight against evil forces that are in heavenly places. And let's confirm this thing with Galatians 1.8. Galatians 1.8. Oh, listen to what it says. But even if we, an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you. Angel from heaven, preach another 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 gospel. Those who worship the host of heaven. Angels from heaven have preached another gospel. Muhammad said Gabriel showed up to him and said the Quran is the word of God. Joseph Smith said the angel Moroni showed up to him. Yeah, angels from heaven been doing it for a long time and they're still doing it today. We now know what the host of heaven are. The host of heaven are every pagan god that has ever exist, existed. All pagan gods are evil angels and evil heavenly beings that work for Satan. They're, they angels mask themselves as Zeus. They mask themselves as Thor. They mask themselves as Hercules. They mask themselves as Apollo. They mask themselves as Osiris. They mask themselves as Shiva. And then they produced images by using demons. And now we have statues all over the world. Some of them are even called wonders. Back to Zephaniah. I said I was going to do it one day. I guess today was that day, huh? Look at the fifth verse. Those who worship, Zephaniah 1.5, are you there? Zephaniah 1.5, what does it say? Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but they also swear by Milcom. Who's Milcom? Pagan God. Pagan deity. What did God say? He said, you swore oaths by me and you swore oaths by Milcom. The Ammonite God. The Moabites called him Moloch. I'm sorry. Uh, Milcom was a Moabite God. Moloch or Moloch is what, or Milcom is what the Moabites called him. The Ammonites, Ammonites called him Chemosh. And Chemosh, Milcom, Moloch, Moloch, they required your babies to be burned in the fire. As I said before, literally the God of abortion. But when I say abortion, some of y'all need to drop your rocks. And let me tell you why. See, as a man of God, I will never, and I mean never, stand for abortion. But know this, if you had one before you were saved and you got saved, that abortion is now under the blood of Jesus. And if you had an abortion while you were saved, guess what? That abortion is now under the blood of Jesus. You are forgiven. It is forgotten. Don't you let the devil bring it up to you. God got a better memory than you and he chose to forget. Matthew 5. 
533. Look at what Jesus says here. <clears throat> oh, now Jesus is doing what? He's forbidding against the oaths. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall swear your oaths or perform your oaths to the Lord. What does he say in verse 34? I say to you, don't swear at all. He says, don't do it by heaven. He says, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. He says, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor by your mama. Nor by your kids. Y'all already know the loves of swearing. Yeah, I swear. That's bad enough, but then you sw I swear by my mama. And then if your mama's deceased, you swear in a grave. Oh my gosh, we are binding ourselves to something. Yeah, verse 36, nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus says, you know what? We're now in the age of integrity. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that settles it. He says, whatever is more than this is from the evil one. And how do we know this? This is how we know that swearing to God is from the evil one because God now says, you don't have to swear to me anymore. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Now, if you're swearing to God, you ain't swearing to me because I told you not to. James 5.12, James 5.12, James 5.12. Are you there? James 5, 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. All right, two more verses and we're done. Just two more and we're done. Are y'all still with me? All right, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. This is one of the things regarding uh, some of the activities that take place in these fraternities and these sororities. Called Branding. Zechariah, look at Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3, look at verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. That's what Satan does. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. He says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? This word brand in the Hebrew means poker or tongs so it's an instrument used to do what to be dipped into the fire something that is emblematic and then branded on you to sear your skin now now you have no idea that's why satan has done a great satan has done a, a a brilliant job of making all of this stuff fluff now and he is mastered under popular culture, and so we just digest any and everything. I mean, we just take any word, and since, since popular culture says, says it, let me say it. So, you know, uh, uh, divas, for example. I'm a diva, and you're a diva, and she's a diva, but we don't know diva is a Hindu word for goddess. And we just sit there and call each other goddesses because pop culture says it's okay to do it. Satan's plan has been masterful, and we have been because now everything that was pagan, everything that was awful, everything that was ugly, everything that was wicked to God is now a fad. Now let me, I, I'm, going, I, I'm going to the club. Let me put my, my, my outfit on, my Air Force Ones and my tat. Because tats are fads now. I mean, tats just come with everything now. Everybody gets a tattoo. I believe most people that get tattoos don't even want them. If you already have one, that's the past. We're not talking about the past. You already got it. Many got tattooed. Many unbelievers had tattoos before they came to the Lord and said, man, I wish I didn't do it. 
Not coming against tattoos right now, that's not what this lesson's about. I'm just simply saying that Satan has taken a massive venture and he's turned everything into something that is easily digestible when it shouldn't be. Branding, this is our last scripture, Isaiah 3.14. 3.13, I mean, Isaiah 3.13. Here's what God has to say about it. And this is how you know that this stuff is occultic, this stuff is idolatrous. Isaiah, are you ready? Chapter 3. Look at the 13th verse. The Lord stands up to plead and he stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. It says, for you have eaten up the vineyard, the plunder of the poor is in your house. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. Moreover, the Lord God, the Lord says, behold, because the daughters of Zion are haughty. He says, because of. Verse 16, the daughters of Zion are haughty, and what do they do? They walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes. They walk and they mince as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with the scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In the day that the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms and the rings and the nose jewels, the festal apparel and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, watch this, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans and the robes. And so it shall be. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, there will be a rope. Instead of well-set hair, there will be baldness. Instead of a rich robe, there'll be a grinding of sackcloth. And there will be branding instead of beauty. The word is girl. In other words, instead of beauty, there'll be branding. Because branding's not a thing of beauty, and it wasn't a thing of beauty. It's idolatrous. And see, all of this stuff that he's talking about right here, all of this stuff was used in relation to the gods and goddesses that they served and worshipped. Now, Satan, three times Jesus called him the ruler of this world, the prince of this world. We already read that he's the prince of the power of the air. Paul says he's the god of this age, and here's what he's done. He's blinded the minds. And it's time for the blinders to come off today. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to end here. If this message has been a blessing to you, the announcer will tell you how you... Well, saints, I know this was powerful. It lasted an hour and 30 minutes, so I'm not going to keep you any longer. I want you to stay blessed. Choose Jesus. Walk in love, saints. Walk in love. Peace out. I hope you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode or any previous episodes, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially, because it has been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Or you can send your seed to me via Cash App. Dollar sign, Dr. Kamla D. That's dollar sign, capital D, lowercase r, capital C, lowercase a-m-a-l-e, capital D. 
anything you choose to send will be greatly appreciated. Now until next time, saints, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D. Rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.